Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is three o'clock on a month. Almost forgot what day it was. On a Monday afternoon, you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy Matthew Raftery. I, I just, we just kind of talked right outside in the hallway, and we say we had a full kind of slate to get to. It's it's a lot that um, has happened, not just in Vegas but in the world. So I think we're gonna hop to it the best way we know how. Uh, my mom's tip in for today. What did she send me? Um. I thought it was fitting, even though we won't get to it until probably the latter part of the show. But um, Newt Rockney, my mom's tip in today is one man practicing sportsmanship is far better than 50 preaching it. Once again, today's tip in is one man practicing sportsmanship is far better than 50 preaching it. Um... People have said a whole lot about Odell Beckham Jr., haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. Good or bad. Considering what he could have said when that microphone was in front of him, I think that's something that kind of should be talked about. We talk about not applauding a fish for swimming, right? But um, I think with as much that has been said about uh, Odell Beckham Jr., in those moments, you 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 maybe you could have had a Richard Sherman moment, and you didn't. So, uh, I I think that's something that's commendable on his part. And again, we'll get to that a little later on because uh, there's a couple other people over on that team that probably uh, got some got some got, got some feelings to share if they can close the deal two weeks from yesterday officially. But we're gonna start today's conversation. We're probably gonna be. 45 minutes deep by the time we're done with basketball talk. We'll see. Uh, maybe it'll be the first hour. We'll see how it goes. But let's go ahead and look it over. Um, we're going to start with college. We're going to start with what's on campus, and we're going to start with the men's team. Um, <laughs> I was drawing this up today, and I was laughing because I wasn't sure if we had already talked about this. And I don't think we did. So I think we actually talked about it at one of the women's games. But let's address it now. Because we discussed what this team would look like if they came back from this two-game road trip 0-2. We discussed what would happen if they came back 2-0. We discussed – I'm not even sure if we discussed what happened if it came back in a split. But that's exactly what this team was able to do. Uh, I didn't think that, that, that the team would look too good against Colorado State. And then considering what this team was dealing with, with Marvin Coleman, Josh Baker, and Donovan Williams all being out, um, it, 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 it made it – even more of a reason to kind of give CSU that. Uh, before the game, Kevin Kruger said with everybody out, Bryce Hamilton would have to assume more of the scoring load. When you heard that, what did you think? I didn't think he was going to do what he did on Friday night with the scoring load. But, I mean, I wasn't 
I didn't really know what to expect with Colorado State. Like, I had an assumption what I thought the game might look like. I thought the game would look something along the lines of that Colorado State would just absolutely wax the floor with UNLV. Thankfully, that was wrong, especially if you're a UNLV fan. That you're really thankful that that assumption was wrong. But Definitely. given what that team had gone through just that Monday before, where they go on the road to San Diego State and they just look lethargic and uncompetitive from the start. I mean, you want to talk about like just in in a sense nearly sleepwalking through a game. I think the score was at least 13-5 to in that SDSU game before UNLV could even blink for a second. Like, the game felt like it was over basically at tip-off, where you flash forward to Colorado State, and all of a sudden, that shifted. It, it felt like whatever transpired between the end of the game against San Diego State and tip-off of Colorado State on Friday night, whatever transpired during that week, it must have inspired everybody on the roster to really step up their game and really take it to another level because I think if you ask even some UNLV fans that they thought they were beating Colorado State, I, I, I mean, I'll tell you right now, when I was looking at their schedule, I was like, ain't no way they're going to get Colorado State. Are you kidding me? They're diff- No, stop it. Like, just keep the game close, and we'll call that we'll call that good. Like, But they went out and they won the game outright, <laughs> and Bryce Hamilton dropped 45? A career high? And as I said before, I, I was texting my dad about the game, and I told him, I said, I don't think I've ever rooted so hard for 50 in my life. And a lot of people, again, would go back to, oh, that's you being a homer. Oh, that's you being a homer. I don't know how many 50-point collegiate games you guys have seen, but if you've ever been in a basketball gym, which is always kind of the interesting part because they always say basketball is a brotherhood, I've seen opposing teams start to root for the other guy if he has it going. If if I'm getting ready to see something historic tonight, I'm with it. (laughs) I'm kind of with it. Unless it's UNR, you know what I mean, about to drop some sort of uh, record-breaking performance at the MAC. I'm guessing that that's not something that fans will want to see. But in most cases, a lot of people are going to root for the record-breaking performance. And it was so awkward because you you just kind of talked about what – we believe Bryce to finish with. Bryce, I believe, finished with 45 points, eight three-pointers was what my final story said. But um, it's been it's been changed a couple times. I believe that at first it was 47 during the game, and I, I remember that specifically while watching it, saying that they gave one of Keyshawn Gilbert's and one layups to Bryce. And once I saw that, I said, okay, then – that's that's not 47. That's 45. Now, the next morning I woke up and somebody told me it was 42. And I said, fam, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. So I don't know what stat keeping they did and went, went ahead and found out that he was three points shy of 45. He ended up with 42. I don't know, man. I'm not changing it. So <laughs> I'm not changing it. ESPN, I think, has it at 45, too. I don't know what you guys want from me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one that noticed that because, like you said, ESPN's at 45. Yeah. And then, as I mean, I think you're probably on the same email chain. <laughs> you, you know, they send out the the article, if you will, from uh, I think it was today highlighting that Bryce was Mountain West Player of the Week yep. and talking about the Colorado State game. And they said he had 42. And I was like, wait a second. I thought he had 45. Like ESPN's saying they got 45. Somebody during the game said it was 47. I mean, I guess we know for sure he's in the 40s somewhere, but – we now have a range of 42 to 47 that, 
I mean, he could have any one of those three numbers and, you know. Still a career high, and you yeah. know he still needed every single bit of it. Um, again, it was a moment where, I'll be honest, I'll put it in the, in the, in the story. When Kevin Kruger said that he would have to take on more of the scoring load, this is what I didn't put in the story, but I personalized it, and in my mind I thought, actually, I actually may have said it. I think I actually may have come on air and said that uh, I'm not quite sure what more Bryce can do. If Especially if you want him to score more, I'm not really sure what, you, what, he, what he can do. And then he proceeded to, as you said, just do exactly that. Now, when you see the final point total, again, I believe it was 45, so I'm going to run with that. But in the first half, he had 21 points and five three, made three-pointers. UNLV went into the locker room at halftime, up 11 on the, on the, uh, in the rebounding battle. And CSU had yet to lead. Colorado State lost this game outright. They you, you mentioned outright, but they lost this game in wire-to-wire fashion as well. So I said last show, <laughs> that maybe two weeks ago, that this campus, as much as they talk about Zimmerman leaving early or Patty or or um, why am I missing another um, Anthony Bennett or whoever else you guys want to mention. I mentioned that you guys need to appreciate the fact that Bryce Hamilton stayed. I don't even know what this game looks like if Bryce Hamilton doesn't play. I don't know if I want to know what it looks like, <laughs> to be quite honest. I'm not sure if we could imagine what that looks like, which is even worse. But, um, again, it was a game that was necessary, and UNLV needed every single point from Bryce Hamilton, and he was able to deliver uh, – he delivered the team to a 12-9 overall record, 4-4 four four in the Mountain West Conference. They are currently sixth in the Mountain West. This is the fun part. They're sixth in the Mountain West. They're four games behind first place. Interesting. 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 Because now with a month left in the season, four games out of first place. I don't know, man. I mean, I know you need the, the, the top five teams to kind of start beating up on, on each other, but it usually happens. Yeah, I, uh, look, I, somebody asked me about this. Uh, maybe it was Saturday or Sunday. They said, well, what did you think of uh, Colorado State? And I thought, you know, the jury's still out. And they said, what do you mean? Right. You know, they just went on the road. They went to the top team in the Mountain West. They beat them outright on their home court. I said, I know. But how many times has UNLV shown us this in recent years? Very true. If you look at UNLV's, re- you know, you go year by year. They always have one outlier performance on both ends. They'll have one really bad performance that could be classified as the worst of the year. They'll have one really good performance that is probably their best of the year. I'm not so sure that this wasn't their best of the year. And then maybe they start coming back down to earth and playing at a more consistent, what what we at least have deemed to be consistent for UNLV it may come as soon as tomorrow night against Reno. I don't know that for say, but sure. I mean, obviously, if they keep playing the way they're playing against Colorado State, they're for sure going to make the top five. But realistically, is it sustainable long term? I mean, the trends have shown with this team to be kind of a flute game here and there. And it sounds like we're nitpicking when we say things like that. But, I mean, yes, I am the very same person who – just what two 
actually no, last episode I believe I said when I said do we even want this team to excuse me do we even want this team to win a Mountain West or a game in the Mountain West tournament? And it may have sounded kind of baffling to many, but considering everything that went into this season, it, it's 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 tough to say, but a lot of people would think whatever the ceiling was for UNLV coming into this season, this team is nowhere near that. Whatever the secondary ceiling was coming into this season, I don't believe the team is near that either. The third backup ceiling in terms of what this team was was uh, expected to do, I'm not sure that they're there yet either. So that's why I said, do we even want this team to win a Mountain West a game in the Mountain West tournament? Because especially if it considers or if it um, results in a loss to Boise State on the back end, or a loss to San Diego State on the back end, or a loss to UNR on the back end, does UNLV even want that? So again. A lot of people may not want to ask that or maybe may not want to answer that question, but I think it is still something that, that people should ponder. Um, not to mention, you just mentioned that UNR game on Tuesday, and and shout-out to Arrow and Deshauna. First of all, shout-out to Arrow and Deshauna. Let me go ahead and take a sip of water really quick. For being our official winners of our two tickets uh, to tomorrow's game, I, I won't say how many more, but um, – we do still have um, a ticket or two to give away, so um, stay tuned. Obviously, stick stick very very close with our social medias. Again, follow our Twitter at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, follow our Twitter at Talk That Talk LV. Um, maybe we'll get some some trivia questions. Maybe I'll do a pop up and have somebody meet me. We'll see. We'll see. We'll play it by ear. Um, so this U and R game on Tuesday, seven thirty tomorrow night at the Mac. Silver State Series. Just to just to add to matters, UNR is seventh in the Mountain West. So this game is this game has Mountain West uh, seeding uh, implications potentially for both of these teams. And then you have today's practice. Now today's practice. Shout out to Paloma Villacana for uh, tweeting this out because it was pretty much a snapshot of what everybody kind of wanted to know in terms of this practice. And uh, she went ahead and let everybody know that Josh Baker is a full go after concussion protocol. I believe he missed the last two or three games. Um, Out of concussion protocol was a full go at practice. Donovan Williams, of course, been dealing with a knee injury, was at practice. However, he didn't participate. Lastly, they said Marvin Coleman still wasn't with the team, hasn't been with the team for, what, the last three weeks. And the team was citing that Marvin was still feeling ill. I'm here to let you guys know I'm not here to say anybody's lying about whether they feel ill or not. I don't deny it. However, we were questioning before whether it was COVID. And a lot of people were saying that it couldn't be COVID. Well, maybe it was COVID. Well, it had to be COVID, right? What I didn't let you guys know 
was Marvin Coleman has pretty much been at every UNLV Lady Rebel game. So it hasn't been COVID-related. Again, I'm not saying he doesn't, he isn't suffering from an illness. However, similar to what Matt and I kind of discuss all the times off air, we think that we have gained the ability to maneuver through the smokescreen. January 19th, and I don't even, it's funny because I don't follow players, like, very often. And I don't follow Marvin on Twitter, on uh, Instagram. I don't. However, when you follow certain people, they pop up on your Explore page. I know people that follow Marvin. You see Marvin's comments. I think I may follow Essence. And I think I saw something from Marvin. I went and looked. January 19th, there's a post from Marvin. And as a matter of fact, I think the entire post is important. Maybe this can classify as that's out there now. But on January 19th, Marvin Coleman said, the odds against you, and they double stacked. At the bottom of the caption, he has free 31. Now, I, I'll do this. I have heard. And this was before the season started. That without being given a name, a player on the team was described to me. And based on certain descriptions, it left only a couple of people, a handful of people. Upon being told about this particular person, I was told that the relationship. With Kevin Kruger, not that it was bad in the sense of just bad blood, but maybe the player could get the sense that Kevin Kruger wasn't sure if their game would fit the way that he wanted to run the team. I was never given a name to start the year. I remember maybe the second or third week of watching the team, somebody looked at me and said, hey, why isn't Marvin in the rotation? And I just looked at him. I said, well, I mean, when you look at the players in front of him, all of them with the exception of Keyshawn Gilbert shoot the ball better. You could argue Marvin Coleman probably comms an offense better than anybody else. So you, I'm sure you could take your, your pros and cons with both. But now fast forward to this. A lot of people may sit there and say, well, what does this have to do with anything? Maybe nothing. Until he says free 31. For whatever it's worth, guys. We always say that it's always dangerous to to say that a player is faking anything. What I will say is 
as a former player and as somebody who's known former players, whenever a player doesn't want to play, you think of situations like this where they can't be disproven. How are you going to tell me that I don't feel good? Marvin is not the only one saying free. Wait a minute. Why is the computer doing this? There we go. He's not the only person saying free 31 as his sister Mariah is doing the same thing on social media. Hey, man. We could be here throwing stuff at a canvas, seeing if it sticks, and we could be wrong. I think one thing that me and Matt can tell you guys is that when we've been here on campus, at least in my experience, where there's smoke, it's a bonfire. I think we're when you see Free 31, that in essence is that smoke. That it's so it's not a lot, but it's enough to maybe give off the the signal like there might be something going on here. And that's that's why when they labeled it as illness, mm-hmm. I thought makes perfect sense. It's the easiest thing you can classify an absence from the team as. Oh, he's just sick. He doesn't feel well. And you can just dismiss it like that. Because, quite frankly, I don't know if they really want to go into the the details of what's going on with Marvin Coleman. Could he very well be dealing with some very elongated virus that we don't know about? Possibly. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a medical professional. I, that'd probably be a question better suited for the athletic trainer. But what I will say is it's usually when you see, you know, whether it's uh, in this case Free 31, we've seen other athletes do the same thing when they're in situations that they don't want to be in uh, with different teams you'll see something similar along those lines of um, whether it's in pro sports, college sports, it's all kind of the same thing, which gives off the impression to me that either one of two things is going on. Either A, which I wouldn't put out of play, like I said, Marvin genuinely doesn't feel well. He's dealing with something. The coaching staff thinks he's fine and he can go in, and there's a, a conflict there. And now Marvin's to maybe to the point where, okay, you want to tell me how I should and shouldn't feel. Okay, I'll, I'll really show you how I feel and don't feel and not play. That could be one option. Hmm. Number two is Mar- action. Number two is Marvin feels perfectly fine. <laughs> and there is a conflict going on between him and Kruger or him or maybe him and somebody else on the coaching staff to where, it's one of those, we're not going to discuss what's going on publicly, but there's something going on, and behind closed doors, Marvin's not part of the team, but on paper and on the roster, for PR's sake, he is part of the team. And I'm happy you said that, because I was getting ready to ask the question, two questions, and you can you can phrase them however you want. Is it possible that Marvin Coleman has been, I don't want to say dismissed from the team, but asked to step away from the team? I think silently, yes. 
I think silently there may be there might even be a mutual agreement between him and Kevin Kruger as as far as saying we're we're going to part ways at the end of the year whether you want to or not we're not going to tell anybody because you know for whatever reason I mean I guess for for privacy sake you know that's that's one thing that's fine but um I will say going that route does lead to a lot of you know speculation and kind of what could be from media and maybe people that don't know Marvin quite as well, which is which is why I keep, you know, asking around, like, you know, to people that might know Marvin, I keep asking, Free 31, what, what's that about? And for the most part, it's been pretty tight-lipped. Nobody's really, you know, I've gotten, oh, I don't know. I mean, I think for whatever it's worth, too, in a, in a situation like that, I think Marvin has kind of let us know what it means in a weird way. Um, I think what's interesting to note is that when Marvin is at these UNLV Lady Rebel games, his teammates are with him. Yep. They're right there with him. Uh, I've seen Mike Nugle with him. I've seen Reese Brown with him. I've seen Donovan Williams with him. Uh, hell, we've seen Bryce Hamilton with him. So, I mean, it doesn't seem as if anything is changing in terms of that locker room, of course, and we know how sports go. The, the team is usually going to be – together and that that's going to be the bond that's almost unbreakable more than coaching staffs and players uh so on and so forth um I, i'm not really sure how how much we can take away from this except from i believe that we all are under the assumption that this is not illness related yeah i mean i like i said it could very well be some strange Unknown illness that has affected Marvin for the last few weeks. Sure, I mean, I, for you know, lack of better term, taking it at face value. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I'll say this: if I didn't see free thirty-one, I might have taken it at face value. I thought oh, I, may, sure. I may have thought like, oh, okay, he's dealing with something pretty bad. Like it's been for going sure. on a few weeks, but I got you know, stranger things have happened. You know. We're dealing with COVID for the past two and a half, almost three years, it feels like. Yeah, man. So, I mean, sure, it, maybe that's out in the air. But when you see Free 31 and you see the reasoning why he's not part of the team, which is, in a sense, I mean, if it was me personally, and I've seen it done before, what – Kevin Kruger or whoever, you know, maybe it's not Kruger for say, but maybe it's a PR representative for the team. What they could have very well labeled this as was instead of even giving a reasoning, just saying, you know, Marvin's not part of the team. Or like, Marvin stepped away from basketball activities. Yeah, Marvin has stepped away from all team activities uh, in, indefinitely um, and just left it there. But when you throw in the fact that, oh, he's, you know, stepped away from team activities uh, due to illness, I can promise you, if it's illness, Marvin's spreading it all over Cox. <laughs> and, and so, like, but all jokes aside, you see that and you go, so what's really going on? Because we all know it's not an illness. And if it is, it's one that maybe nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, and I mean, it may be one that we'll never hear of again. Um, I, do you think we'll ever figure it out? I will say, and this is going to sound really crazy, UNLV basketball is really good at um, covering up internal yeah. 
disputes from top to bottom. Yeah. That's a safe way to say it, right? That's yeah. Safe. I mean, I've, I've heard... That's safe. I've heard uh, of stories involving, you know, maybe personnel within UNLV basketball and re- in previous seasons and, Amen. you know, events that may have gone on. But they, to, I mean, to their credit, they never made it to the media waves. It was just more so just discussed amongst people that were familiar with the team and the situation. But I, I to answer your question, we might figure this out. But we're going to have to have Marvin like on a podcast or something one day after he's graduated and it's been a few years and be like, all right, Marv, you got to tell us what Free 31 meant. Like, what, what was going on with that? Hey, man, I think I think there may come a time, and I haven't talked to Marvin, I think there may come a time when Marvin is, says 31 is free or something along the lines of that. Um, however, I did look. And we kept saying Marvin was a fifth year. Mm-hmm. Marvin is a senior outright. So I say that to say, maybe Marvin could graduate and transfer as a fifth year. Yeah, because he's probably he's got the COVID year. All right, I'm really getting out of here because now it's gonna. Now this is pure speculation. Marvin has never indicated that he wanted to leave Las Vegas. He's never indicated that he wanted to leave the state of Nevada as a whole. So if he's no longer playing for UNLV, that doesn't mean UNLV won't see him. Let's move on. Um. Hey, Essence did that before. Let's talk about Essence and her and her crew and her gang. Um. Man, Dr. Nancy Lowe tweeted this, and we had just mentioned it on the last show, and we said that we understand how media outlets and companies kind of work. They they send out assignments. And a lot of times reporters are sent on assignments that they don't have a choice in covering. They're told to go cover this. That said, I did see Dr. Nancy Lowe from UNLV tweet the RJ and say, is this winning streak catching your attention yet? (laughs) As you guys would expect, the RJ did not respond. Um... This is why I love the Lady Rebels. The Lady Rebels responded and said, be sure to grab your paper on Sunday. Um, Ed Graney and Sam Gordon uh, have something special for us, or something like that. Now, Ed Graney's was a column about the team thriving under Lindy LaRock, and Sam Gordon's was a feature story about Essence Booker. Now, both of those stories took off Sunday, got retweeted. Uh, I've quoted something from Sam's. I thought Sam's uh, worded this excellently. He said, when describing Essence, he said, part part point guard, part two guard, and all moxie. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That's pretty much Essence. If you had to describe her, that's pretty much her. Um... 
However, I did sit there and I said, yeah, the Lady Rebels did what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to defend the RJ, which is the way that they're supposed to do it. I don't have to defend the RJ. Um, <laughs> but they went ahead and said, this is what they have coming for us on Sunday. But all that means is that there are supporters in the city that want to chronicle the Lady Rebels journey just as well every just as well as everybody covering the running rebels journey on the other end. So I took time to send Dr. Nancy Lowe the link to our website where the coverage has been all season. It's another conversation that we've had before, but yeah. Ta da. <laughs> Um, and again, I, 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 of course, Sam is my dog. So I'm sitting there like, do I even post this? You damn right. I'm gonna post it. Has nothing to do with Sam. Sam just got his new position at the RJ and is writing columns. One of the first, one of the first stories that he wanted was an Essence Booker story. That means he paid attention to it. Can't speak for everybody else at the RJ. Can't speak for who assigned stories at the RJ. I don't even know who assigned stories at the RJ. But I know that <laughs> Lindy has discussed it with us. So I found it interesting that just somebody flat out asked the RJ, fam, do y'all even know what's going on over here? To her credit, I think that was actually a valid point. Thought it was a good question. Valid question, yeah, for sure. Thought it was a valid question. I wasn't expecting the Lady Rebel account to reply back with that. But. Because the RJ wasn't, which was going to make them look just as bad. The, the Lady Rebels did what they were supposed to do. Yeah. The RJ should have come out and said, hey, we got two stories coming Sunday. Da -da -da -da. We're, we're a startup media company. We don't cover everything. Everything can't get covered. But we stretch ourselves around this city enough to make sure that most of what we want to get covered gets covered. We don't have a staff like the RJs. No. So um, I, I say all of that to say that there are people out here that are interested in what these Lady Rebels are doing. Not to mention the Lady Rebels are rewarding their fan base with wins. They added another one. Most recently against Air Force, 72 to 54. Essence Booker and Desiree Young combined for 32 points on 12 of 22 shooting from the field. I asked everybody who I spoke to after the game pretty much about Essence and Desiree both being the leaders for this team. It seems like nights that Essence has it going, Desiree struggles, or nights that Desi has it going, Essence struggles. And I talked to Coach, and I also talked to Desi. Almost maybe on a handful of occasions, we could account for maybe even less. We could account for both of them kind of exploding on the same night. And um, Desi said, to be quite honest, that they play off of each other. So it's a little surprising. She didn't say the word, but it's a little surprising to me that we haven't had more of those um, duo explosion nights from those two. But... um. Nevertheless, this particular explosion did produce an 18-point win. The team already had uh, snatched first place away from New Mexico, so this win allowed them to keep pace with um, 
well, I should say New Mexico won to keep pace with the Lady Rebels because uh, they're both sitting atop of the Mountain West Conference, both at nine and one in the conference. The Lady Rebels are seventeen and four. New Mexico is eighteen and five, so they're one behind in the loss column. Um, You want to get to the last 18 seconds? I mean, it's that, might, that might have been the most entertaining 18 seconds of the game. Because it makes no sense. First of all, <laughs> oh, man. All of it is funny. All of it is funny. And it probably shouldn't be, but it is. It's all hilarious. So, Chris, and I could be wrong. I don't know if it's Gobrek, if it's Gobrek. I don't know how to pronounce her for her last name. So I'm going to say Coach Chris uh, from the Air Force side. Um, shout out to Coach Lindy because she let both of us know after the game um, something that I didn't even pay attention to. And keep in mind, too, Coach told me this. And I remember, I think against New Mexico, I mentioned something about uh, somebody getting fouled out on the other side. And the team um, – kind of coasted after that. And I, I talked to her and I said, that was kind of the moment where it switched, right? And she mentioned, I don't even pay attention to the other team like that. Like, I didn't even realize she left the floor. Maybe, maybe you're onto something. And I left I left it alone. Now, keep in mind, let's fast forward to this, this most recent game, this weekend, Saturday's mm-hmm. game. We're talking to Lindy and about 20 seconds or so, and backup point guard Kiara Jackson, freshman, Point guard Kiara Jackson is being pressured, being pressured, and the team is already up, I believe, what sixteen, something like that, under twenty seconds to go, and she's being pressured the entire way up the floor. So she gets past the half court line, and the offense begins to to run a play. She runs a play, she um, gets a high pick and roll. She obviously she uses the screen. She gets to the cup. She throws up a floater. She throws up a floater. It falls. UNLV scores with like 2.5 seconds left. This is where everything began to move in slow-mo for me. Coach Chris of Air Force begins to walk past her coach's box, past the half-court line, and nearly towards Lindy's coaching box. Now, when I saw that, I looked at the bench, and I said, oh, Nobody on UNLV's side recognizes it yet. <laughs> Nobody's either. Lindy recognized shortly thereafter. So Lindy hopped up. <laughs> Lindy hopped up and began to walk toward Coach Chris. At the time, Coach Chris was already walking back towards her spot. And then she turned around and obviously locked eyes. And you seen kind of Coach Chris throw her arms up like, what was that? You saw Lindy do the same exact thing. What was that? Following the game, uh, there there was a, a, a I don't want to say heated. There was a spirited discussion. There was, yeah. Near half court, that, I mean, both of them, you couldn't really make out what they were saying. However, you saw Lindy get ready to walk away, and she said something else. And before she did it, I believe Coach Chris responded, and she waved her off. Coach Lindy waved her off. Once I saw her wave her off. I said, okay, we'll say well, that conversation's over. So now we have to figure out what happened. After the game, similar to what Coach Lindy uh, will, be, uh, will be believed, it was about that final basket. And as she said before, she said, I'm sitting there with my, with my reserves in the game. You have all of your starters in. 
So first of all, you're playing all of your starters with 20 seconds left and you're down 15. You're pressing my freshman, who already has four turnovers. I have to move forward with this freshman. Five is a bigger number than four. Keep in mind, I'm paraphrasing all of this, but these are all reasons for why I do want her to run the offense. She doesn't, even when she typically checks into the game, she's not playing against these players nine times out of ten anyway. She's the backup point guard. So she's playing against starters. She's getting pressed. She's up 15. She's already has four turnovers. Yeah, you're right. I told her to run the offense. She ran the offense. She looked for a bucket. That's what she got. It is what it is. I don't know any other ways to give you guys just a snapshot story of what makes Coach Lindy Coach Lindy. That's one of them. <laughs> that's one of them to say the least. Um, did you have a, specific, a particular take on on what you saw? Well, I mean, when we talk about the conversation, the first thing I I said, I looked at T and I said, "Oh, we'll know what happened." I was, he's like, what? I was like, Lindy will tell us exactly what happened. There would be coaches out there, whether it's men's basketball, whatever really sport it was. Some coaches are a little more reserved. They'll be like, you know, it was just a, you know, a, a discussion of some sort. You know, I'm not going to really, you know, elaborate on what happened. Yep. No, Lindy will tell you exactly what happened, how it went down, and what was discussed, which is exactly what she did on Saturday. Yep. And while I understand maybe to a T why Coach Chris was upset. I'm also going to defend Lindy a little bit more here and say at that point in the game, it's 15, 16, 17, whatever. However, it was definitely more than 15 points. The shot clock's off. Mm -hmm. At that point, like if I'm Lindy LaRock, I shouldn't have to tell you, yo, I got the reserves in. It should be a nonverbal kind of look to the other side like, we're cool with the game ending right here at the score. We won't score nothing. We'll, we'll just hold the ball here if that's what you're cool with. But Air Force wasn't down to play ball like that. They wanted to pressure. And so, so Lindy, said, oh, Lindy said, okay, fine, watch this. Go run this play. And I, tell, I told T after the game, I said, if that's a men's game and that happens, you better believe I'm going to dunk. And I might hang on the rim just a little bit extra just so you understand it. And there is no layup line. Or there is no handshake line after the game. No. <laughs> I'm taking my behind with my teammates and heading straight to the locker room. And thank you. See you next See you next time we play you, which could be in the tournament with these two teams. Yeah. So I say all that to say I kind of got a chuckle looking at it because I thought to myself, oh, teams are starting to really get frustrated with UNLV. UNLV is becoming one of those teams nobody's figuring out. But all they know about UNLV, we want to beat them. I don't know how it's going to happen, but we want to beat them. And you could tell that that was Air Force on Saturday. They were frustrated that they fell victim to another UNLV, in this case UNLV victory, by almost 20 points. And this is obviously this win secured a series sweep for them, but they won both games by 34 uh, combined points. So that's an average of 17 points in both of those wins. And like you said, like we actually talked about after the game, if they don't see each other in this conference tournament, you got to wait an entire year before you get to see this team again. Well, and it's like, yes, I understand you're frustrated that you've gotten swept by you know UNLV and both in really not all too competitive fashion. 
fam, jump in line. There's a lot of other teams that are feeling the same way you are after playing UNLV. That's a very good point. Go ask how New Mexico feels after that last game. Go ask UNR. Go ask UNR. They just lost by three to this team on their home floor. Mm. So there's a whole lot of teams that are like, yeah, Air Force, you can hop in line because uh, we we want our next shot at them. And, I mean, similarly, that's kind of, you know, I don't know if she said it directly, but she did kind of acknowledge it that, well, yeah, we have a week off. We're we're going into uncharted territory. We are the top dog in the conference, and we got to go on the road. And, yeah, you, you kind of just alluded to exactly what she said because the question was about this next game, and it's at Utah State. It's uh, Saturday. You just mentioned it. They got a week off. They got a full week off. Second time in the last, like, maybe month, maybe six weeks or so since the uh, last time that that's happened. Tip-off is set for 7 p.m. But she mentioned – uh, being the hunted, taking that hunting mentality and taking it on the road for the first time. And uh, she said everything that she said in terms of what you just said. She mentioned that the team is going to get uh, healthy over the next couple of days. They have an extra day during the week to kind of prepare, considering that the game is on Friday and not a day earlier. So she um, did highlight that, and this is what I thought was so interesting. She mentioned how difficult it was and what the team was dealing with when they're going to go on the road and it being hostile territory. And then she followed it all up by saying, this is a privilege. This is this is the feeling that you want. She said you want every team to circle your game on the calendar. She said you want uh, teams to have an idea about you before they see you. She said you want all of these things. She said, and at the same time, obviously it comes with more responsibility for the team and it's going to come with um, – Hopefully some statements. And I think this team has already made a couple of statements this this season and are hoping to make another one on the road. This season they are 7-2 and two away from the Cox Pavilion, which I mentioned it in last night's story because I, I haven't – I try not to do it every story because then it gets so redundant. But I went back and I forgot what their record was last season on the road. I know that they didn't lose, but I know that they uh, – but I didn't know the exact record. In her first year plus as a collegiate head coach, Lindy LaRock is 16 and 2 away from home. Yeah, man. Keep in mind, now they're figuring out how to win at home. And one of those lo- actually let me let me look at something really quick. Cause something is going to rest this season. Because one of their road losses was to New Mexico. And they lost by three. Mm-hmm. They also, I think, lost by three to Texas Tech. But that was think that was a neutral site game. The one I'm missing is Northern Arizona, and that was a blowout. Okay, UNLV lost by 22 in that one. But that is when is the last time we said UNLV lost by 22? And when speaking about the Lady Rebels, it's the first time in Lindy LaRock's career. It's been a while. So she she's <laughs> lost one game away from the mountain, away from uh, the Cox Pavilion by double digits. The other game she barely lost. Um, in terms of a last second three by Latora Duff, uh, and especially when you look at the rest, the way that this Mountain West is playing out on this lady side, um, yeah, man, New Mexico and UNLV going at it <laughs> for a seven game series doesn't look as bad. No. I know UNR has something to say, but no. Yeah, yeah, I, I, we talked about it last time. I am all here for a New Mexico UNLV. Best of seven type of series. I'd be stunned if these two teams aren't playing in the Mountain West Championship game. Because inevitably, I do think we're looking at 
the top two seeds in the conference. I think, I mean, you look at their the rest of their schedule. I don't think they're going to get challenged all too much, you, the Lady Rebels are, between now and when they hit uh, the conference tournament. I think they'll probably see Reno one more time. Mm-hmm. We know they're done with New Mexico. We know they're done with Air Force. I mean, I don't foresee any teams really getting into their way other than maybe Reno, but Reno's also going to be back on their home court. So they still have their lone uh, matchup of the season against San Diego State ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody else, I think they, they've they proven to a, a degree that they, they can beat them. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a team in this first, you know, first round of the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a, team that they haven't at least beaten once if not swept yeah I mean you're kind of on to something and I think uh considering what happened to this team last season with my with Wyoming I think uh even with the team already owning a victory over Wyoming this year but it being by six points and it being a game that UNLV was up big in um I'm pretty sure Lindy LaRock is is making sure that the team doesn't get too uh far ahead of themselves considering that that did just take place this conference season. So important to, to, to mention and important to take note of, but um, a seven-game series between you and uh, between UNM rather and UNLV would be great television. It'd probably be reality television at that point. Um, let's talk about the other reality television basketball team that we have here in Las Vegas, and it's the Las Vegas Aces. Uh, three main stories to get to, and uh, – I'm not sure if I already mentioned it before, but if I'm not, if I haven't, let me mention it now. Raquana Williams, I did not mention that before, I don't believe. Raquana Williams is making her return to the Las Vegas Aces. In addition to that, uh, Kia Stokes is making her return to the Las Vegas Aces. So, couple key pieces to last season's team returning for Becky Hammond, Bill Lambeer, Nikki Vargas, and crew. Um, however, One big piece of the team, at least one thought big piece of the team, considering what what uh, the injury that she occurred last season. But Angel McCautry will no longer be with the Las Vegas Aces after signing a deal with the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, what was your first, your, your initial reaction to the news and kind of how Vegas has responded to it? That's not the name that I thought was going to be on the move. That's my my. Gut reaction was, yeah, okay, that answers that. Because I think we, I, I don't know exactly what show it was, but I, maybe it was a month or so ago, I guess. But we sat here and we said, so one of the two names is going to be on the move. We kind of came to a consensus of who we thought it was, and it wasn't It wasn't that name. Um, which then I think does answer the question, Okay, Liz is probably sticking around. Does it? You would think. I mean, I would think with a team of Becky Hammond and Bill Ambeer and Nikki Fargus in the front office, mm-hmm. they're not going to be playing games this this time around. They're not playing games this season. They're in, they're still in win now mode. Yeah. Nothing about this rebuild stuff. I think you can maybe afford to lose either Angel or Liz. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can afford to lose both. Considering that Liz Cambage played this season with COVID or played 
this season before COVID, before before contracting it, and after contracting it, and Bill and Beer alluding to the fact that there were two different Liz's. Couldn't you argue that you have played multiple games last season without both already? You definitely have, and I think you can even point to the uh, the bubble as a kind of a uh, a blueprint of how to play maybe without Liz because she did miss the bubble, right? But you also look at that. But you know, let's just say hypothetically they lose Liz, which could very well happen. I'm not going to put that. I don't out. think they lose. I don't think they lose Liz for free now. No, I think there's definitely a price for it. But you know, let, let's just say for hypothetical sake that she's off the team for this coming season. That leaves Asia Wilson. That leaves Kelsey Plum. Erica Hamby. Hamby. Jackie Young. Jackie Young. That's a squad. So that's already <laughs> four. I mean, we're already we're only at the fourth player. Yeah. And Kia Stokes can start. Yeah. And so we already know. Uh, well, Hamby might might be coming off the bench. I think she enjoy yeah. she, she enjoys coming off the bench, probably more so than starting. I think she embraced that role for sure. And she, I mean, she's she's she fits in it. <laughs> she fits in it considering the energy that she brings and retaining Raquana Williams obviously helps. We haven't mentioned Chelsea Gray. Um, yeah, I mean Chelsea Gray is obviously in the starting lineup. So there's and for whatever it's worth too, Raquana Williams was not supposed to be the starter last year. Right, Bill Lambier kept saying that this is a a, a microwave-type score off the bench that we have to start. Yeah. So. And now maybe we can get her back to her original role. And, I mean, we'll, we'll see what, who that uh, helps more, whether it's um, Raquana Williams or whether that's somebody else getting a nod in the starting lineup. But uh, Angel moving to Minnesota, I will say this really quick before we move on. Basketball Twitter, what the hell is wrong with you? I don't think I've been this disgusted with basketball Twitter in quite some time. Who has the nerve to fix their lips and say Angel McCautry is chasing a championship? You want to know what makes me even more bothered about that? Even if she was, who cares? Who cares? I don't think we will ever look at Angel McCautry's career and say, oh, man, well, she couldn't get to the big dance. Oh, well, she couldn't get to the WNBA Finals. Oh, man, well, she couldn't, she couldn't perform in the WNBA Finals. She did all of those things. So even if she did want to go chase a ring, as basketball fans, we're not the ones to tell her that she can't. Didn't KD chase a ring? Didn't LeBron chase a ring? What is Chris Paul doing right now? <laughs> You're right. I love CP. Yeah. But even if he is chasing a ring. Very well could be. He should be under more scrutiny than Andrew McCautry. We've seen Andrew McCautry go there and be the only thing that her team had. With all due respect to Chris Paul, we've never seen that. No. Not to the finals. And even at times that he was balling with New Orleans, I'm an ex-pacer. You guys are going to give David West his credit, damn it. I think I have one more thing to talk about. 
in terms of the aces, maybe just to get us out of this first hour. Christina Williams. Christina Williams tweeted on Saturday that the aces were close to a deal with Asia Wilson. To which Asia replied, damn, for real? Uh-oh. <laughs> so there's two things that I want to go and, t- and, and, and separate this and discuss these two things separately. The first one is about Christina Williams. I later on saw that Asia has said, and don't come for Christina. And then I saw Christina saying, y'all don't treat journalists that don't look like me like this. Christina Williams, who is a black woman, she had a point. She had a very valid point. A lot of people aren't going to want to hear that. A lot of people aren't aren't going to also want to hear this part that I'm going to or this point that I'm going to make. <laughs> I know I just quote unquote went in on Stephen A. Smith a couple of weeks ago, but Stephen A. Smith said it best before. Unless a reporter is trying to engage in career suicide. Most reporters don't flat out lie. Could a reporter report a lie? Yes. Those are different things. And it baffles me that so many people that want to be in this field are confused by that. Somebody told Christina Williams that they were close to a deal. Couple of things could be true about that, or a couple of th- yeah, a couple of things could be true about that. Either it wasn't true to begin with, but they wanted that information out, or the Aces in Asia Williams, or excuse me, the Aces in Asia Wilson have two different definitions on what the word "close" means. Either way, the one person I'm not looking at. It's Christina Williams. Yeah, I think, and again, I, I think it was well well worded. Consumers of media don't understand this, and it frustrates me. But I, I I get it to a degree because they maybe they just don't know better, which is excusable to a a, a T for sure. They're always upset when a story's wrong. Or when a story has to be corrected. We see it all the time, right? Correction, such, such, and such. ESPN does it all sometimes all the time as well. They'll put out a story. They'll later come out and say, you know what? Hey, we messed up. Here's a correction. They just did it. Yada, yada, yada. They just did it. They, y'all just told me Tom Brady was retiring. Fam, dad came out and said, mm, no, he's not. Again, I'm not looking at Adam Scheffner because chances are, and it, I'm going to put, the Christina Williams situation within the same boat as Adam Scheffner, because I think the same thing happened in both. In Christina Williams's case, what I'm guessing happened, somebody close to the team that wanted to put the aces in a bright light said, yo, I think we're pretty close to a deal with, with uh, Asia. Okay. 
I'm going to take that at face value as a reporter. What I, according to sources, the Aces and Asia Wilson are close to a deal. Yeah. That's not, like you said, it's not, re, you know, you could be reporting something that is a lie. Right. But not necessarily reporting a lie. Exactly. And I think that's what happened with Christine Williams. Similarly with Adam, Adam Scheffner, my guess is somebody within Tom Brady's camp Maybe they were jo- it was you know a half-hearted conversation. Maybe that it, it just came up in passing as a joke. Mm-hmm. Maybe the person that interacted with Tom, you know, took it at face value. And maybe Tom's like, man, I've had enough of this. And maybe they're like, oh, I guess Tom's retiring. And then they, you know, that person, you know, goes to Adam Scheffner and says, this is my relation to Tom. This is what Tom told me. Mm-hmm. And Adam Scheffner reports out what he's been told. And at the same time, too, I think a lot of people don't pay attention to the fact that not in this Christina Williams situation, but similar to the Tom Brady thing, which we may touch on a little later. um, (laughs) I've seen it happen as well. Shout out to Coach Ed Azam from Westchester High School because there were times when he's put me in a really, really awkward position as a, as a reporter because, and I'm happy I learned these lessons early because there will be often times that I would ask coach something that he knew that I was right. And because I was right, he couldn't give me the answer. Like I can't give you, like I'm going to give you a no answer. So part of me feels like that's what Tom Brady did. If somebody asked Tom, was he coming back? And Tom's typical answer is, yeah, I'm coming back. Maybe he just didn't say anything this time. And the person ran with it and was like, oh, well, I know what that means. Did he say no? Or did he just not say yeah? That could have been the situation. Yeah. So I found it weird that people are looking at moments from Christina Williams, waiting for a moment for her to say, oh, see, she's not credible as a journalist. Da-da-da-da. Oh, she's not credible as a journalist. I came out and said that Reggie Theus was interested in UNLV's coaching position the last two times they've been vacant Reggie Theus could have came out and said that's a lie you know how many people would have looked at Reggie Theus and said I mean well Reggie said he didn't say it you want to know who knows that Reggie was interested in it I do for a fact only me and Reggie know that conversation though Again, we're not saying that this person did this for Christina Williams to be put in a bad light, but I've seen it happen. That's why as a reporter, when you hear certain things, similar to what Sam said, sometimes you have to check with a second and third source. Maybe Christina Williams is talking to somebody from the Aces Brass. She heard that. Maybe I don't need to go and check with a second and third source. I'm not tweeting out any specifics of the deal. They're close to a deal. Here's another reason why I want everybody to back off of Christina. Does anybody think that the Aces are letting Asia Wilson walk out of the door? That's definitely not happening. They will rename the Mandalay Bay the Asia Wilson whatever. Yeah, they're that's They're not letting her walk. Not a chance. Nope. So you want to know who's going to be right at the end of this? Christina. She might just be a little bit early. Come but on, I mean it's it's crazy because you know, I I think a lot of people and maybe it's the same consumer consumers of media that may not just know any better it's funny they think that like journalists like they they can't be trusted right they they report out everything and you know how much i covered now exactly there's a there's been plenty of things that 
either, I mean, not not to kind of bring them back into the light in a sense, but for example, there's been things with the Lady Rebel. Like, it's nothing serious, but there's a difference between just having a conversation with Coach, chopping it up, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's been a long, you know, layoff between home games or just between games in general. And then there's the specifics of the game that do get reported. Yep. But, and and if it's something that is may fall into a gray area, I think we've done a pretty good job of saying, if you're not cool with this being ran, we'll leave it be. And I mean, the thing is too, there there's ways to kind of go about it because more so than than asking for permission. Because for instance, when I went to coach about uh, the Air Force last 18 seconds, I told coach we didn't have to run with it, meaning that she could explain to us what happened and maybe just her description in itself is enough for us and maybe we don't need to include it in the story but based on the answer she gave us it's like now nah, we're gonna run with that because you kind of just explained everything so as opposed to a situation where we could tell the story from your words rather than through your words and i think that's the difference and like you just said there are ways to go about it. For instance, you mentioned the Lady Rebels. There's something that second game, I believe, I noticed, and I was like, oh, that's a story. It's a long-form story. So because it's a long-form story, there are multiple people of the team that know this is coming. Because it's a long-form story, you have to do it delicately. And I told them, it has nothing to do with the fact that the it has it's not solely because the team is in season, but the fact of the way that I'm going to want to talk to everybody and all parties involved is harder during the season. I'm not stopping it because it's the season, because the story is now. But in order to get the best possible story, it means that I have to probably wait a little bit. Maybe even conference tournament time, that might even be the time when it comes up. But as you said before, there's ways to kind of go about it. And I remember specifically, and I've mentioned this before, and we can move on. Uh, did, the, did the Instagram live with Mike Hughes and Gabe McCoy. And I remember that I'll, I laugh about it. And and this is, this is the fun part because my nickname for everybody who did not know, obviously, Talk That Talk, uh, it is what it is. My nickname is, is Chatterbox. And the name came around us from family ties in terms of where the name came from but in terms of why i use it for this profession is because people have seen me around campus and 90 percent of the time i have headphones in and i don't want to talk to anybody (laughs) and the reason why that is is because it's our job to talk to people daily and nine times out of ten it's people that we don't particularly want to talk to (laughs) so now i have to talk to you so now when i don't have to i'm not going to and um the nickname Chatterbox is always it, it can be hit or miss because people are like, oh, man, I don't know if he can know this because X, Y and Z. He may run to the paper and tell this. And I've always said that you have to have morals. You have to have ethics. That's what, that's what journalism is about. Right. And in doing that, I have told you guys plenty of times, if any reporter tells you that they tell you everything that they know. One or one of two things is going to happen almost immediately. You are going to know that they are a liar. Or that person won't be a reporter for very much longer. They don't coincide. 
So when I said on the Instagram live that some of the best stories that we hear as reporters, we can't even tell. Mike and Gabe shot a look at each other and they smiled. And I looked at the Instagram live and I said, guys, guys, back to me. Now they know. Like, now they know that it's something. That's Don't give them that. Like, so we say all of that to say that these are discussions that are had behind the scenes. We have these discussions all the time behind the scenes. And there are tactful ways to go about it. And a lot of the reporters that you guys rip into often don't have tact. I think that was I think that was pretty pretty well put. Um yeah, man, I didn't like that. Shout out to Christina Williams. I didn't like that. Um Let's talk Knights. Let's talk Knights cuz after that I think we're going to end with football and we're going to run out of here. I think my dad's tipping is on hockey as well, so this is a switch up. Uh the Knights ended their four-game road trip with the win at Tampa Bay. I didn't give them a chance. I didn't give UNLV a chance. I didn't give the Knights a chance. And look what happened. The Knights came away with a 3-2 win in overtime via the shootout. They end this road trip 2-2. Two two. Is there something for me to grasp onto in terms of positivity for this for, for this uh, remaining, what, four months or so? Assuming that this team is going to be in the postseason? They beat the Stanley Cup champions, right? Hey, man, you got to count your wins. Um. No, I mean, all, all jokes aside, I, we talked a little bit about this before the, the trip started. We kind of laid out where we thought the team would be if X happened, where they thought we'd be if Y, and so on and so forth. They grabbed five of the eight points. So you grab more than half. That's decent. Record-wise, you finished two and two. Well, two, one, and one, technically. Oh, very true. Um, And... You get a pretty good road trip out of Robin Leonard. I think all things considered, you can look at Robin Leonard and you go, that was a pretty good trip. You got your first shutout, and then you followed that up with him playing the back. To, I'm trying to think of the game. So he played. He would then played in the uh, – Played the Capitals first. Yeah, he played the Capitals first. He did not play against Carolina. Played against Florida. Florida, he, you know – People would say, well, 4-1. Really, it was 2-1. Right. Because he gave up two. There was two empty netters. So, really, he only gave up two. And then he plays Tampa uh, on Saturday. In all three of those games, he had a save percentage of greater than .9. Which is always a number that you go to. That is like a a benchmark number that I look at. You, You know, in order to have a pretty good game... You gotta be somewhere. You gotta be, you know, maybe point nine one, point nine two, somewhere within the point nine region to really give yourself and give your team a chance. And to put that into perspective too, in terms of what you just said, his three previous games before those three games, starting with the shutout, he had three straight games of under point point nine save percentage. In addition to that, he had one game where he was actually at point eight three three. Yeah. So I mean, maybe a turn of the corner for Robin Leonard this season. You would hope, at least if for. Vegas is, you know, their fan base sake. They they probably hope that, yes, this is a sign of good things to come for Robin Leonard. And certainly if you can get that type of performance from him night in and night out moving forward, it's going to make everybody's job a little bit easier. But I think you also have to look at this road trip and go, I don't know if they did necessarily anything out of the ordinary. This kind of felt like 
well, this is probably about what we expected. Like, I don't know if they necessarily like if they had gone four and zero, that would have been a fantastic road trip, and it probably would have exceeded a lot of expectations. Maybe even three and one for that matter. You know what? One question I have, maybe you can help me out with this. Um, in terms of Robin Leonard, mm-hmm. is it possible? that the reason why he gets so much hate from Las Vegas fans, and it seems like NHL fans for whatever reason, but let's keep it uh, local. In terms of Las Vegas fans, do they have such a big issue with Robin Leonard mainly because as I'm going through his game log now, you look at some of these save percentages, and I'm, I'm going to point out some of the higher ones. Uh, you mentioned the one shutout, so obviously you got, a, you got a solid one in there. You have .93, you have .91, .96. 0.92, 0.93. Now, I'm going to point out some some not-so-great games for Robin Leonard. 0.89, 0.83, 0.86, 0.88, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89, 0.89,
Vegas had three separate opportunities before before they even got to Mark Stone. Mm-hmm. They had three different occasions they could have won the game because it went all the way to a seventh frame in the shootout. Right. And in three separate occasions, Vegas was either – or uh, yeah, three separate occasions, Vegas was a made goal away from ending the game. <laughs> and all three times, they swung and missed. Maybe, maybe literally, but uh, yeah. But they missed on those opportunities, and I kept thinking to myself, you know, Robin's really done a lot. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know how much more long, how much longer he's going to be able to keep going. And really, I mean, he, I'm, I'm sure Leonard would never say anything like this, but maybe in his head he's thinking, "Fam, you got to be kidding me, right?" Like I've I've, tr- I've done everything you need me to do. Like I, we we're in position to win. Like it's I can't score the puck for you. <laughs> and then as I'm sure Vegas remembers from Saturday, Mark Stone comes out, buries it, right. and sends the team back to Sin City happy. But you look at that game, and you look at the trip as a whole. I think one thing that really st- stood out. Well, I guess two things. One is, as we mentioned earlier, Robin Leonard played some of the best hockey that he did on this road trip of the season. But number two, remember what we were talking about maybe a few weeks ago when I kind of hinted at the idea that you should keep an eye on the offense? Yes. You look at the scores. They won against Washington 1-0. They lost to Carolina 4-3. They lost to... Florida four one, and they beat Tampa. And they beat Tampa three two. You think you know hockey? I don't sit up here and try and proclaim to be an expert. I know there's a lot of people within hockey that probably know a lot more than I do, but I mean, you look at trends, you look at teams, especially. When it's you know something like the Vegas Golden Knights, where you know you kind of been following them along through their time here in Vegas, you start noticing different patterns and different times of the year where the team will perform. I kind of gave the warning sign out about a month ago, almost two months ago. It seems like that a we should be. First and foremost, worried about this team making the playoffs. I still don't know if that's necessarily an unreasonable idea. Yeah, we'll get to that shortly, trust me. But more precisely, you should be concerned with this offense, especially the later we get to the year. Because we've seen it, whether it was the bubble, whether it was years before that, or season, even a couple seasons after, it feels like when this team has their offensive struggles, where they may generate a lot of shots on goal, but not a whole lot of nets in the, you know, nets on the scoreboard, or not nets in the scoreboard, goals on the scoreboard, and, you know, pucks in the net. When you start seeing that, where they have maybe 50 shots on goal, but only maybe one or two goals to show, you start realizing that, A, this team is struggling on offense, and usually when they're going through those stretches, it's in the latter portions of the year and in some cases, they've done it in the playoffs. Talk about it. And we'll get to their next game, actually. But let's let's go ahead and hold off for a quick second. Because the Knights currently are 26-16-3. Thir- 
They are first in the Pacific, 55 points. And there was a part of me that wanted to not even bring up the West uh, standing in addition to the NHL standing, mainly because their lead in the, in the Pacific is getting slimmer and slimmer. Uh, ending this road trip 2-1-1 one, one, officially, you end the road trip only a, a point up on the Ducks and two points up on the Kings. As presently constructed, the team is tied for fifth in the West and 12th in the NHL. It's really weird to see, but as this team, even as this team wins, I've said it maybe three or four straight weeks, this team is still sliding in the other direction. But we'll see if they can continue to stay on these in these winning winning ways. Uh, they have a game tomorrow against Buffalo. It's their first game of the season against Buffalo. Uh, puck drop is set for seven. Are you at that game tomorrow? I'm not. I'm at uh, UNR. It wasn't sure. Okay, bet. So you'll kind of be pulling double duty. I don't know how that's working. Um, but we will obviously get to the bottom of that. Speaking of getting to the bottom of, my dad's tip in is coming in right now, mainly because it has to do with hockey. But he said he was trying to change pace from uh, obviously an exciting Sunday in, in the NFL. But he said he ran into a pretty interesting NHL uh, article today. He said that we may have already gotten wind of this because it's taking place in Vegas. Um, he says this Friday specifically. It's a 2022 NHL skills competition. It will include the traditional indoor competitions like faster skater, save streak for goalies, hardest shot, accuracy shooting, and the return of the breakaway challenge for the first time since 2016. But the grand unveiling, pardon, but the grand unveiling is the first ever outdoor all-star game skills competition. I did see this. Did you see this? Yes. Let's keep going. One of them is the Discover NHL Fountain Faceoff, and it will be staged at the Fountains of the Bellagio. I'm going to pause here for a split second. When, when we originally, and I say we being Las Vegas, when we originally got the, the draft and we heard about the Bellagio Fountains and everything else uh, that was kind of planned and prepped around the, around the NFL draft, um, it's a little weird because we was like, y'all going to go out in the middle of those fountains? Like those right there? And then you realize that it's a crime. Yes, guys, it's literally a crime to swim in those fountains. <laughs> so now seeing all of these events kind of surrounded around these Bellagio fountains, I need more people in Las Vegas to understand. You are not protected by these leagues. <laughs> So I just feel like before we continue with this tip on tip in, we're gonna get a lot of stories over the next two years of people being pulled out of that water. Hopefully nothing deadly. But you're gonna get people that <laughs> overexert themselves and they're gonna wind up in that Bellagio fountain, trust me. Um but speaking about the fountain face off. Eight participants will travel by boat to a rink in the fountain, and they must successfully shoot pucks as quickly as possible into five targets placed in the water, fighting through the spray from the nearby fountains. The skills competition will shut down part of the Las Vegas Strip. 
this is the part that I'm that I'm super excited about. I feel like if you have things in cities like this, you got to embrace everything that comes with the city, and the strip is one of them. So, um, here it is. Uh, the other event that I can't wait to see is the Las Vegas themed game, where they can, where there will be a full deck of oversized playing cards on a rack of essentially, or excuse me, on a rack, and essentially, it is a hockey ass blackjack game. Hockey is blackjack. Okay. So in case you guys are trying to follow along, it's hockey ass blackjack. Um, where players will try to build a hand that equals 21 in the least number of shots without busting by shooting pucks at the cars. He said insurance anyone. I'll be honest, man. I saw that blackjack game, and, and for whatever it's worth, I know people are probably going to be interested in the Bellagio Fountains because it's the Bellagio Fountains. I'm really interested to see the way that this uh, blackjack thing plays out. Just because it, it reminds me of all of those quarterback competitions from the early 2000s when, like, Carson Palmer was out there competing with Mark Bolger to determine who was, like, the best passer in the game. And it was like, fam, what is going on right now? Those are the times that I think I kind of miss. And, um, I mean, hey, we talk about all-star festivities as a whole, and we're usually pretty pretty disappointed in them. So as long as the NHL is going to make us tune in, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, I think football talk for the last 30 minutes or so. A press conference just went down, I believe, at 2 o'clock. Well, they didn't start till about 3 when we started the show. But um, Las Vegas, the Raiders, they've made some moves. Uh, Dave Ziegler was hired as the team's general manager, has 12 years of experience in the NFL, most recently with the New England Patriots. Uh that brings along our second kind of news to break, and it's Josh McDaniels. Now, whenever we see general managers and quarterbacks, both of those uh, positions being vacant, you usually see the general manager come in and have a hand, and obviously a major hand, in bringing in his guy to lead the group. Uh, shouldn't shock very many people that somebody from New England is coming over with him. A lot of people question whether it would be Gerard Mayo. Uh, who's to say Gerard Mayo still may come over unless, you know what I mean, another one of these teams snatches him up. But uh, Josh McDaniels is the name. And um, I, I, <laughs> what have you seen on this? Have you seen mixed reactions from people? What have you seen? Yeah, I'd say mixed reactions is a good way to put it. That is 100% the best way that I could put it because I'm pretty sure that I think half people that I know love this move and half the people that I know can't even understand why it's being made. Yeah. I, I think I mean, I don't know. I part of me wants to believe that this is going to be a good move. Another part of me remembers Denver Josh McDaniels yeah. and goes that can't be happening again. Uh, it could be. It could. But I can say this, Josh McDaniels wasn't my first pick. Was he your second? No. Last question, was he your third? No. Hmm. I'm not even sure he made the top five. Interesting. Rich Versace was in the top five, wasn't he? Rich Versace was number one. I think he was a lot of the Raiders number one as well. Let's talk about that really quick. Roderick Teamer Jr. went ahead and uh, tweeted out that – um. He called him his brother. He called him his father. He called him his second chance. 
Um, he said that he saw him on the first day of joint practices against the Rams, and he said that he saw that dog in him. He said and he kind of lit a, lit a fire under him ever since then, and he ended it by saying that he would run through a wall for him. And I don't think that gets talked about enough. That you could have a coach that you like, you could have a coach that you respect, you could have all of those different things. That that same thing in terms of both of those descriptions does not also mean that a person would run through a wall for that coach. And we've seen a difference. For whatever is worse, or for excuse me, for whatever it's worth, people like to say whatever they like to say about Marvin Menzies, right? Yeah. Let's look back to Marvin Menzies. He coached Pascal Siakam. One of the bigger surprising stories in the NBA in recent years. He gives Brandon McCoy to shock the world and come to UNLV. He gets the best player in JUCO basketball to turn down Kansas and come play basketball here. That same Marvin Menzies <laughs> recruited Bryce Hamilton. Yeah. I don't know, man. That same Marvin Menzies recorded, or recruited Jonathan Chamwachachua, who was a national champion. I say all of that to say... A lot of people say, oh, we're not listening to the team. We're not listening to players. We're not listening to – maybe there are certain scenarios where you should. So the fact that Max Crosby comes out and has a heartfelt post about Rich Passaccia, I just mentioned Roderick Teamer, Roderick Teamer Jr. I don't know if Derek Carr has done anything recently, at least today, but I know he has in the past about Rich Passaccia. These are – important people to your team that almost appear as if they're mourning rather than celebrating Josh McDaniel coming into the building. That's what I can't wrap my head around. Yeah, I think it's it's all a valid point. And I mean... My first instinct is this isn't going to be a great hire, and I think there was better candidates still available, one of which was in your own building for the past season. If you wanted to go outside of organization, Brian Flores isn't employed yet. That won't be for long. New Orleans. <clears throat> New Orleans. Call him. I mean, Kansas City, Kansas City just got sent home, and he thought to give Eric Bieniemy a call. You know what's weird? I'm ready to just do it. We need a movie called The Curious Case of Eric Bieniemy. From what I've heard, the only knock as to why he hasn't been a head coach is supposedly he doesn't interview well. When when the question is posed, <laughs> why isn't he a head coach? A lot of people have the same answer and saying... Well, he just doesn't interview well. 
<laughs> Which, by the way, I'm not buying that answer. I think that's much like we were talking about <laughs> earlier in the show, giving out information to maybe cover up something. Oh man, you know what? I've said this on I've said this on air before too. I've been at a job interview where it wasn't even like the exact type of job interview, but it's similar to it. So it's a job interview, mm-hmm. and I'm there. And I promise you guys, somebody said, and I wish I knew exactly who it was. Somebody looked at me and said, well, Terrell had the best resume. Terrell had the best ideas moving forward. Terrell had the best performance in the interview today. I don't know, but it's just something. And I looked around the room and I laughed. As soon as we got out the room, I was joking, but I made sure that people heard it. Not everybody, but I made sure that somebody that needed to hear it heard it. I said, oh, I know exactly what that last thing was when it was like, oh, I just can't put my finger on it. <laughs> I'm black. That's what it is. I'm glad you said it, by the way. You didn't expect for me to have the best resume. You just said it. Yep. You didn't expect for me to have the best business plan moving forward. You just said it. You didn't expect for me to get in here and blow them out the water. You just said it. But it's just something? Well, you just highlighted three things. You can't highlight that fourth one? What do you think it is? I think a lot of the same things can be said about Eric Bianami. A lot of the same things can be said about Brian Flores. Hey, man. I mean. They're going to use Brian Flores' temperament against him. Watch. The fact that he's a fiery coach, they're going to use that against him and try to paint him to be an angry coach. Watch. It's, it's gotten to the point in the NFL. But yet still Jim Harbaugh is, never mind, is coveted to return to the NFL, right? Do you know another angrier man than Jim Harbaugh? And you want me to give a damn because Mike, bro, never mind. I mean, we're at the point now in the NFL, we have to remind people about the Rooney rule. Only one team takes it serious, and they have a black coach. They seem to be doing all right, don't they? I think so. Never have had a losing season? Fam, that is still unbelievable to me. Might be one of considered one of the best therapists in all of football. He deserves Coach of the Year this year for what happened with AB in Tampa. <laughs> I'm, right. I stand by it. Yeah. Because now you got to go back and say, fam, you did nine years of that? We ain't hear about AB for eight of them? How you do that? <laughs> it's like, exactly. But, yeah, I mean, you look around the league. He's the talent whisperer. He can get, I think he can get the most out of anybody. I truthfully believe that. And I mean, I'm I'm gonna be very delicate with how I say this because I know this could turn into a podcast conversation. There's guys that have been already hired. Josh McDaniels is about to be hired. Yeah. The Giants have hired uh, Brian Dable. Yeah. I'll say it again. Brian Flores is still unemployed as of right now. You know what I don't like also. And I, I maybe I'm part of it because I did say he he uh, let's look into it in terms of New Orleans. But I think the New Orleans culture is just perfect for him right now. You know what I don't like? I don't like whenever a black coach is mentioned in terms of uh, going to a new spot. They only name highly black populated cities. So let's say that the Chargers were still in San Diego. A lot of times. Black head coaches wouldn't be mentioned for San Diego. Why? <laughs> but you want me to send them to Chicago 
or New Orleans yeah. or Atlanta. Why? Why can't he go coach New England? Why can't he go coach the Jets? Why can't he coach up in Buffalo? Why do I have to send him to New Orleans? Whatever. That's just me. I'm, me wrong. I mean, I think anybody would be out of their mind if they didn't think Brian Flores doesn't have the resume to speak. It's not it has to me, it has nothing with him being a black head coach. Now, maybe around the league, that could be the exact reason why he's not a head coach. I think You know what though? Let's pause with this. Let's say you're right. I don't I hope I'm not right. No, but let's say that let's let's play with the idea that you are. Let's say it has nothing to do with race. Let me tell you how it still boils down to race. Oh, okay. I let's say never mind. Pardon. Let's say that uh, it is the relationship with Tua. Yeah. And let's say he, because I've heard that that I've heard this from black analysts that is his relationship with Tua. Cool. I believe it. I'm. I would never. My OG has said it. I would never call my OG a lie. Now, maybe he did have an issue with getting through the Tua. How many quarterbacks did Jeff Fisher have an issue getting through to? Quite a lot. Steel Boy was down the race. How many quarterbacks did Minnesota give Mike Zimmer? Quite a bit. Okay. How many quarterbacks did Marvin Lewis have? Now, that's a black one, right? That's the only case that we look back at and say, nah, he knew something against him. He got something against the owner still. Yeah. Like, he knows something. Like, he got a picture of somebody in blackface. He got it. That's why he was there for 20 years and didn't win. Like, you don't see that very often, but Jeff Fisher could go through quarterback after quarterback. Hell, Josh McDaniels is about to get another opportunity with a quarterback. Another one. And you guys want me to care that he didn't get along with Tua. So, what if he goes and he wins the Super Bowl with Jameis? Does anybody care? What if it comes out 10 years down the line that two is just not that good? And Brian Flores saw it. What if there's that? What happens if he goes to Chicago and all of a sudden Justin Fields starts throwing for 350 plus yards? And you have Matt Nagy completing games where he had thrown the ball 16 times for 82 yards or whatever the hell. What happens if that happens? I don't know, man. Well, I think you even look at Flores, what he did with Miami. Remember when he got to Miami? They were a dumpster fire. For sure. They were one of the worst teams in the league. Maybe even the worst. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know. The Jets and the Jaguars, they they put up a good fight for that worst team in the NFL. The Lions, too. (laughs) They put up a really good fight for that. But Miami was definitely in the conversation. For sure. Brian Flores turned that team around in practically no time flat. I mean, they had the start of Brian Floyd, which was, I get it, wasn't great, but maybe intentionally wasn't great. Mm -hmm. There was the the talk that they might be tanking, in a sense, to get a good draft pick, although later on down that season they started winning and Mm -hmm. the jokes started surfacing, oh, they don't know how to lose properly or they don't know how to lose correctly and (laughs) um, whatever you want to call it. And but supposedly they were tanking for two, so they ended up getting their guy. Yeah, anyway. they got him. But then you look at that following season, mm-hmm. they got to double-digit wins, and because of a NFL playoff format that you could argue needs to be fixed, mm-hmm. they got snubbed. 
keep in mind they won ten at least ten games. They followed that up with this year. Not a great start to the season, but tallied off seven or eight wins, if not more, in a row to finish the year. Ended the year, I believe, with a winning record. <laughs> Swept New England for the first time since God knows when. So you have two straight years of a winning record, one of which was double-digit wins, hmm. and he gets fired? <laughs> but, but then again, we have people such as Mike McCarthy that are still employed. Just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> you, you know what's interesting? I don't do this very often. But I'm about to do it now. Um, I was gonna say very rarely do people like not get in my crosshairs, but I'm like I'm just I'm not I'm not pulling this trigger. I had something to say about Pete Carroll, and I truthfully feel like if you're from Southern California at the time when Pete Carroll had his fight in Trojans, I think we let Pete live when we shouldn't. I think there's a lot of things that if we're talking about head coaches that probably should be gone. There's no way in hell that Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll should be leaving Seattle at the same time. But I love Pete too much to talk about it. That's Uncle Pete, so let's move on. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, if I really like that, – that's the one thing that I will admit I'm phony about, man. Like, like Coach Pete is one of the few people that I will admit I, I was probably starstruck when I met, and I met him in high school. So Pete Carroll is definitely one of those people that if I can refrain from saying a bad word about, I will. Trust me. Um, let's go, man. Let's let's end it by by wrapping this up. Two more things about the Raiders, and then we can talk about this conference, these conference championships. I mean, you got GM Dave Ziegler. You got Josh McDaniels. One thing is coming from both of those guys, and that's New England. This conversation I've seen bubble around for the last two days or so. And I'll be honest, guys, this can go one of two ways. I heard about people questioning since the report has been kind of debunked that this person is no longer retiring, quote unquote. If that's the case, this person is no longer under contract under contract. And they're saying that Tom Brady to Vegas makes a lot of sense. And I'll be completely honest, guys, it does. It make it makes a decent amount of sense if the Raiders can go out and make not one, but two moves at wide receiver. Two moves at wide receiver. That's the only way I said it. I said it that still that that move gets made. <clears throat> and then lastly. City of Las Vegas, I know you guys are probably going to look at me like I'm crazy. If you want the GOAT to wear your jersey, cool. Do it. However, if you don't care about that, let it go. Let it go entirely. Because if he gets here, I think Brady will let it be known in this one final season. He's helping Josh McDaniels with his transition, whatever the case may be. But I don't think people are talking enough about the fact that if that happens, yes, he's helping Josh McDaniels on the way out, on the way in, but he's hurt, but he's hurting Josh McDaniels much more on the way out. 
I say that to say, if Tom Brady does come to Las Vegas this season, who's the quarterback in Tampa Bay next season? Do any names come to mind? No, right? No. The one name that came to mind when he left Tampa Bay, or excuse me, when he left New England was Matthew Stafford. Let's see, let's see how Matthew Stafford would look over there. And no disrespect, but they ended up getting Cam Newton, who we found out a lot of teams didn't want anyway. And then you get a rookie in Mac Jones. If you guys haven't been able to tell the two reasons why I pulled from those two points, nobody wants to back up Tom Brady. Nobody wants to be the guy in the building after him. Vegas, if you get Brady, you get him for a year. And then, unfortunately, no disrespect to these people, but you may have to go to a Jameis Winston. You may have to go to a Terry, uh, excuse me, a Teddy Bridgewater. You may have to look up, and you may have a Kirk Cousins in the building. That's what's on the back end if you get Brady for a year. I think Vegas would be okay with it because if I'm seeing this year correctly, it might be a Super Bowl year for the Raiders. You're giving you're giving me Tom Brady at basically no charge, relatively speaking. I mean, other than sure contract and whatnot, but I'm not giving up any assets to get Tom. I have a pretty good receiving core as it sits. Probably one of the better ones Brady has thrown to. I mean, we can go back down the line and we can look at some of those receiving cores he's thrown to in New England. This is but that much. defense was different. Who's to say this defense isn't improved? It's definitely improved. Yeah, I mean, you look at you're giving Brady a Pro Bowl type of Pro Bowl caliber tight end in uh, Darren Waller, a most improved receiver in Hunter Renfro, mm-hmm. a guy in Zay Jones that may very well be a suitable breakaway option. Maybe not the best one in the in the business, but suitable. He's got a great motor. Mm-hmm. You've got. D-Jack, if you really want to bring him back for another year. And not to mention, you're still well within the running for Devontae Adams. If you bring Devontae, even if you just bring Devontae Adams in. That's, that's, that's one move that counts for two. I'll give you that. The Raiders make that one move, and yeah, that kind of that helps. I think instantly, I guess one positive, and this, you can go right back to it, just the one thing that comes to mind is Brian Edwards. I think we would know instantly what Brian Edwards is. I think Brian Edwards might find himself on the practice squad, to be quite honest, if that happens. Because there wouldn't be room. You're not going to send Waller down. You're not going to send Renfro down. You're probably not even going to send Zay Jones down. Not a, not a question. But I, the only thing I will say is maybe DJX doesn't come back. There there were a couple times when to be, to be brought in and be the, like you said, the big receiver, the, the big uh, down-the-field threat, uh, I, I believe that, a lot more of the reactions that Vegas fans gave Deshaun Jackson were size after he dropped important passes, I, I would say. He, he dropped one early against Cincinnati that didn't seem like a lot, but that was at least dropped three or four in the time that he had been with the Raiders in big moments. So I think he dropped one in Indy. He dropped one in Dallas. He He's dropped some big, some big time catches. So I'll be completely honest, out of everybody that you just named – I would save a little money there and just shave that off. Yeah. And, I mean, I, like I said, I think you get Tom Brady and somehow land Devontae Adams on the same roster, that's a team that will contend with 
Kansas City in the division. It's a team that's way better than L.A. It's a team that's way better than Denver. And it's a team that finally the Raiders can say, this is one that can go head toe-to-toe with Kansas City. Hmm. You have Mahomes, we've got Tom. You got Tyreek, we got Devontae. You got Travis, we got Darren. You got Travis, yeah, you got Travis, we, you got Darren. You got Clyde, we got Josh Jacobs. Hmm. You want to play this out? <laughs> like, hmm. that's – and that's the other thing – why I do think Vegas makes a lot of sense. Vegas also has a really good run game. Yeah. Something that Tom has always had in his career. And much like Aaron Rodgers, what we we could see in the next few months, if they decide to go to different teams, we know one thing is common between the two. They're going to go to a team that they feel can win right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why I think Mike Tomlin not saying anything about his quarterback position is the most dangerous because I've said it before, but Aaron Rodgers and Mike Tomlin just look like a marriage made in heaven. And we can move on. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's move on. Um, last thing in terms of this Raider, it's an ex-Raider, but I don't, I don't whatever. I don't want to say it. I don't want to talk about it. So I'll just say what it is and extend my condolences and move on. Um, I guess a video surfaced over the last week of Damon Arnett on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, I don't know if he was brandishing a firearm. If he, oh no, I think they said I think they said he pulled a gun on valet. Guys, I'm in the business of seeing people get better. Prayers and condolences to the person who had the gun drawn on them first. Prayers and condolences to Damon Arnett and his family and loved ones afterward. If you consider yourself a Damon Arnett loved one or friend or follower or whatever the hell, put your arm around him. Maybe you don't need to say much. Just put your arm around him. I don't have anything else for you guys. Damon Arnett needs help. I mean, we saw DC do it with Henry Ruggs. Yeah, man. Um, speaking of football, Damon Arnett, by the way, in case you guys needed to know, he was cut by the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, he was. Um, and then the cut, and then the Chiefs got cut up. <laughs> you know what? And this is weird because I did it when Dallas went to the finals in 2011. Um, I did it when Golden State went to the finals in 2015. I did it when OKC went to the finals in 20, was it 2012. I did it when Seattle went to the Super Bowl with Russell Wilson back-to-back years. Certain times you look at certain teams and you see the marquee. And I've been saying what I've been saying about Joe Burrow. I said when they played the Raiders, I said the AFC's representative for the Super Bowl could be coming out of this game. I said all of that. And then you look up at the marquee and you see Super Bowl 56 at SoFi, Cincinnati Bengals. And I couldn't wrap my head around it. 
I said, yeah, I know what the team looks like. I know what Joe Burrow looks like. Cincinnati's going to the Super Bowl. No, they're not. Right? There's no way. I took Kansas City in our pick'em league, and I was watching the game, and I said, fam, I've never been more happy to be wrong. Like, I, If Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals win this game, I'm probably going to cheer. Like, I'm probably going to be happy that it happens. And then Patrick Mahomes is driving, and Kansas City is down by three. Kansas City's down 24-21. They're driving. I look over at the person that I'm with, and I say, Kansas City's going to win 30-24. to They're going to score now. They're going to get the ball first in overtime. They're going to score, and the game's over. The other person said, no, they're not. Got Cincinnati. And I looked. I was like, whatever, we'll see. They get the field goal. Keep in mind, I'm moving a little fast, but they get the field goal. They win the coin toss. Here's where I'm starting here. They win the coin toss. Patrick Mahomes, and this is what bothers me, because I know we said at some point he won't do this anymore, and then he continues to do it. We saw it last year in the Super Bowl where, granted, he may have had a reason to, but we've seen previous seasons as well. For instance, the AFC Championship, that the New England Patriots, the last one that they won, and um, in Arrowhead. We have seen multiple times Patrick Mahomes drop back. And my brother used to play quarterback. The one thing that he used to always tell me was that as a quarterback, when I've done my drop, whether it's a five-step, whether it's a seven-step, whatever, I'm not going back anymore. And my brother was a dual quarterback to where he could run as well. He said, I'm not running the opposite way. I saw on two, maybe three separate occasions of Patrick Mahomes attempting to pull the Houdini Act. It's a difference when you have to pull the Houdini Act. There were times that I saw Patrick Mahomes drop back and spin back and forth. He'll spin out, go to the right. Spin out, go to the left. And I'm looking like, Pat, you're not even looking downfield. You're just moving in the pocket. All that movement for what? Now, I know we said that, oh, well, he's young and he's doing this, he's doing that. I don't know that this ever changes. Patrick Mahomes on the field can physically do things that other people can't do. That makes him make his job harder. I'm not sure that Cincinnati should have won this game. They did. But when you watch the way that they play, and this is where the unfair part comes in, but I don't think Kirk Cousins could do what Patrick Mahomes did to get them there. But that final drive, I'm not sure that Kirk Cousins wouldn't have put a touchdown on the board. Kirk Cousins isn't trying to play superhero. Patrick Mahomes oftentimes is. Keep in mind, too, during this entire playoff run, we've we're talked about we've talked about Joe Burrow, but have we talked about Joe Burrow's numbers? They've been far and few. A lot of people look at Joe Burrow and they talk to they talk to his leadership, and then they talk to the fact that when his team needed it, he found a way to get them to win. 
Joe Burrow didn't have a good game against Tennessee. He had a bad one. They won. I don't know. We have time, obviously, to talk about it in the coming days, but this this Super Bowl matchup between them and the Rams, I've said it before, man, as a Packer fan all my life, I've always told my dad, I'm blessed that Matthew Stafford is stuck in Detroit. I said if Matthew Stafford was anywhere else in the world, we would have to deal with him. Now, I don't mean we as in the Packers. I mean we as in football fans. We would have to deal with him. Well, the NFC has had to deal with them this year. <laughs> All Damn. of Matthew Stafford. Fam. Matthew Stafford has me ready to say that maybe Sean McVay will not be this generation's Andy Reid. That's a good point. Sean McVay still gives me the vibe of a great quarter of a great coach who is going to probably take some chances before he finally wins his first Super Bowl. But then I look at Matthew Stafford and I say, fam, we talk a lot about football gods. They're shining bright on him right now. Super bright. And I think considering the fact that this may be Matthew Stafford's only, not only only Super Bowl, but this may be his only appearance. I could just see this. I can see the story written on the wall already. Even if it is his only one, so what? Even if that is his only one, you know what the story will forever be? His first year out of Detroit, he did it. That's what the story's going to be. Doesn't matter that he did it in year 14, 15, 16. Don't matter. His first year away from that franchise, he got it done. There's a lot to talk about. All I will say is that... um. The, the battle of Joe Burrow versus uh, Matthew Stafford, I know a lot of people like to see what we saw with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, and I keep telling people that's great, that's great, but that Cincinnati KC game was much more intriguing, in my opinion, than that Buffalo KC game because, as I said before, yes, you're seeing great offense, but you're also seeing great defensive plays sprinkled in there. So that Jesse Bates tip away from, Ty, uh, from Tyreek Hill, that ended in Von Bell's lap, that final interception. That may be the play of the playoffs. And it happened on the defensive end. Um, I don't think I have anything else. Oh, we, we opened this. We're talking about Odell Beckham Jr. Um, Debo Samuel. Um, Going to be around, I think, for a long time. I'm going to go out on a hot uh, – this is a hot take. I'm not pulling from anything. This is me strictly throwing something at a wall. I think the first sign of trouble in paradise in Frisco, I think Debo Samuel wants out. Because I think Jimmy will be gone. I think Trey Lance may go through some rookie issues, and he may, you know what I mean, deal with that and work with it. The following season, let's say two seasons from now, let's say the Niners start – Two and four, one and three, one and four, something like that. I could see Debo looking around, especially if he's still doing everything that he's doing. I could see Debo not waiting till year five or six or seven in the league, and he's saying, fam, get me out now. Mm -hmm. I am your entire offense. Get me out. (laughs) 
I want to get out of here, so let me hurry up and see if I can cue up this music. Because the one thing that I've always learned, and I don't know how this happens, but players like that always end up in a situation where they get that much more destructive. I think about Randy Moss. And then I think about all the nightmares that he's given me as a Packer fan. And I think about Minnesota. And I said, Randy was going to be Randy wherever he went. But there's a reason why he started in Minnesota and why he took off the way that he did. What happens if Debo goes to Seattle? What happens if, similar to what you just said about Tom Brady, what happens if wherever Aaron Rodgers goes, Debo goes? I don't know if the NFL wants to see that. Because it's quite possible we're talking about Debo Samuel the way that we are right now. That we haven't seen him with a quarterback. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking.